Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join. Before we get the show started today, I just want to send out best wishes to those of you who were affected by this crazy windstorm over the weekend, which knocked out power to just thousands and thousands uh, of people in, in southeast Michigan. I hope that you have power back if you lost it. I hope you never lost it in the first place, of course. But I think this is a reminder, and we seem to be getting them an awful lot, of the changing climate and the consequences of that changing climate because we have so underinvested in our infrastructure. Over the summer, of course, we were reminded at how badly we have taken care of stormwater and other sewers that uh, that keep water out of our houses uh, because of the storms this summer. We saw backups everywhere in the streets and people's houses and people's yards over and over again. That is a result of us not paying enough money to keep that infrastructure up to date. Uh, now we see this windstorm, which again, these, these kinds of weather events are different than what we have seen in the past, but we're just not ready. We're not prepared to weather the weather and not have catastrophic uh, losses. So uh, we, we really do want to focus on those things. We talk a lot on this show about infrastructure, but one of the things that you can be doing as a citizen, as a customer of DTE, for instance, is calling your representatives in Lansing and in Washington, talking about how we need to hold the utilities more accountable for the way they provide this power, but also how we need to, as the public, I think, accept the idea that we need to pay more for these things. We need to invest more in them in the long-term sense so that we don't have these unbelievable interruptions uh, all the time. It is not necessary to live like this. It's not. We don't have to do it this way. We have chosen this over a long period of time, and we can choose something else. Okay, we want to get started today talking about state government. And I want to talk about the things in state government that come to your mind that don't work or maybe just don't make sense. We talk all the time about those things on this show. The way we finance our public schools, our petition initiative process, which grows more and more out of control with every election cycle, it seems, how our judges are elected, and the way our legislature is structured. And I could, of course, go on and on and on with things about our government that are either outdated or just terribly inefficient. My first guest today says it's time to tackle all of those things at once. Retired GOP strategist and former general counsel for the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, Bob LeBrant, says it's time for a constitutional convention here in Michigan. He has an op-ed in Crane's Detroit Business titled, Michigan's Constitution needs a rewrite. It is part of Crane's Forum on Ideas for Reforming Our State Government Structure. And Bob LeBrant joins us now to talk about why he thinks it is time to overhaul our governing document, our foundational governing document here in the state of Michigan. Bob LeBrant, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Well, thank you, Stephen. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you here to talk about this. I, I have to say that back in 2010, which was the last time we had an opportunity to vote, for a constitutional convention. I was one of the people who was really enthusiastic about the idea of it happening, and and I spilled a lot of ink at the Detroit Free Press advocating for the constitutional convention and talking about all the opportunity that we had if we could just decide to vote for it. Of course, it it failed pretty miserably, and I was uh, bitterly disappointed. We will get another chance soon. But but I want to start the conversation with you here. You led the previous campaigns against convening a constitutional convention, not just in 2010, but also in 1994 and in 1978. So tell me why you have come to the light side of this issue. <laughs> what has changed your mind about a constitutional convention over the last 11 years? Well, Stephen, uh, I guess I've had a conversion on the road to Damascus. Uh, <laughs> what uh, what I think has uh, convinced me is that uh, if we're going to have governmental reform, and if that's the goal, uh, attempting to accomplish it piecemeal, one constitutional amendment or one statutory initiative at a time, uh, I think is not the way to go. I think it's time to now take a bolder approach that you suggested back in 2010, and that is to uh, convene a constitutional convention of elected delegates empowered to draft a general revision of the, of the 1963 Constitution. The 63 Constitution has been in effect longer than any of the four constitutions that Michigan has had over its history. Uh, 1935-1850-1908-1950-1908-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1950-1
but with that, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you get in and, and, and ask me some more specific questions. Right. So, so as you know, in your piece, we're going to have this question come up for us again on the battle on November 3rd, 2026. Um, let's talk just for a minute about how this process works. In our state, we get a regular opportunity to have a constitutional convention, and it's every 16 years. We we normally say no, and and frankly, we I probably would say we should not say yes every time. But but talk about why that opportunity comes up, and uh, essentially what the the, the structure looks like for. Well, well, even back, in, yeah. back in 1850, uh, when they drafted a new constitution uh, at, at a constitutional convention held back then, uh, they, they provided in the constitution itself that every 16 years this question will be placed before the electorate as to whether, in fact, to convene a new constitutional amendment. Uh, that continued in the uh, 1908 Constitution. Uh, the 1908 Constitution is, is uh, interesting because uh, not only did you have to get a yes vote to convene a constitutional convention, but you had to get an absolute majority of those voting in the election, mm-hmm. not on the question, but on, in the election. In the overall election, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, and, and and as a result, in 1958, when this automatic question came about. It got more yes votes than no votes, but it didn't get a majority of those uh, voting in the 1958 election. We were electing Phil Hart to the United States Senate, Sophie Williams for another term as governor. But uh, although it got more yes votes than no votes, it it failed. Uh, George Romney, uh, the League of Women Voters and the Michigan JCs, did a petition drive uh, for the 1960 election, and that was called the Gateway Amendment. And, and one of the things that they attempted to do in that Gateway Amendment is, is change the way that uh, delegates would be elected. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, the state Senate, uh, the state Senate districts, we only you know would elect convention delegates, not the state House, uh, just the state Senate from those districts. And all those districts uh, were kind of frozen in place in the Constitution. Uh, that was before Reynolds versus Sims. And so it was really quite a malapportioned state Senate. Uh, the voters approved. And uh, in addition, there was a provision in there that in April of, uh, of uh, 1961, there would be again a call for a constitutional con- convention. It passed. And, and as a result, uh, the 61-62 Constitutional Convention was held. That 63 Constitution provides that each state House district and each state Senate district will elect a constitutional uh, a, a convention delegate uh, on the partisan ballot. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, we might want to take advantage of in this time period before November 3rd, uh, 2026 is maybe take a look at a gateway amendment in, in 2024, hmm. and, and and instead of making these partisan offices, uh, make them nonpartisan, and and have people you know not just have an R or a D behind their name, but actually express their interest in what 
what kind of changes we need to make uh, to a new constitution uh, that would be voted on, at least the call for the convention, in, in 2026. Mm. So that's uh, that's my kind of take on that. Yeah. So um, I, I want to get the callers involved here and, and see what they think about the idea of rewriting the Michigan Constitution. Uh, give us a call and let us know if you think it's time for uh, a rewrite of our foundational governing document. Uh, if we did approve that kind of change five years from now, tell us what issues you would like that convention to revisit. Would it be public school funding, taxes, how the legislature is structured? Do you think there are other ways that we can make state government work better? It has been uh, 57 years since we uh, since we last redid our constitution in that way. Is that long enough? Is it uh, overdue perhaps for us to to take another sort of long lingering look uh, at our constitution? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can hashtag uh, us on Twitter and we'll work you into the conversation. Anthony on Twitter says, we don't need a House and a Senate, too many cooks in the kitchen. Make Michigan's legislature unicameral with a few more members. That's an interesting uh, idea. I'm not sure. Not sure I'm in favor of that. Uh, but but it's something that, that you could discuss uh, or could be on the agenda at a constitutional uh, convention. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here in uh, on the phones. Um, so, Bob, I want to talk about a little bit of the kind of groundwork that 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 would have led to a different decision in 2010. I guess um, uh, you were talking about this, perhaps a, a gateway amendment in 2024. But in terms of convincing people that this is not just uh, opening Pandora's box, right? I remember back in 2010 that the people who disagreed with me about constitutional convention were worried that if you had everything on the table, the special interests would take over and it would end up being about their agendas and not the people's. Uh, how do you get people to, to sort of think, I guess, a little broader about those things? And not be so worried about uh, about that, but but optimistic that you know if we work together and think about this together, we might come up with something that works better. Well, I think one of the uh, things that occurred after the call for a constitutional convention failed back in 1958 is that uh, you know citizens started talking about a constitutional convention, and uh, it was a kind of an intense discussion uh, with with the people of Michigan. Uh, George Romney headed up a group called Citizens for Michigan. The League of Women Voters was very actively involved along with the Michigan JCs. And that kind of conversation uh, occurred for, you know, a couple of years before uh, the voters went back and uh, approved uh, another call for a constitutional convention in 1961. And, uh, and you'll remember, Stephen, that, you know, the the debate on whether, in fact, we really should hold this another constitutional convention was pretty much limited 
uh, to the editorial pages of the newspaper that you work for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there were any ads that were run. Uh, uh, there were some community forums. Uh, John Logie and I kind of uh, did uh, a kind of Lincoln-Douglas debate around the state uh, talking about a constitutional convention. But for the most part, uh, in, in, in 2010, you know, the focus in that election was, of course, on, you know, uh, electing a new governor here in Michigan, not so much a, a constitutional convention uh, to be called. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with Madeline in West Bloomfield. Madeline, what's on your mind? Uh, well, and I would like to see a uh, change to our Constitution guaranteeing the right to abortion. Uh, I believe, totally believe in choice. I believe in the choice to not have an abortion if you, if that is your religious or your um, personal conviction. However, I want to see the right preserved for women who need, for life circumstances, any have the right up to viability of that uh, infant or fetus outside of the uh, woman's body. I want to see the right preserved for all women to have that choice. Mm. Yeah, I you know, Madeline, that's an issue that I think comes up on both sides of of the equation there. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who would like to see stronger abortion rights, uh, part of the, the, the state constitution, for instance, especially if uh, the Supreme Court, as is maybe expected, ends up overruling or overturning Roe v. Wade uh, in the spring. Uh, but there are also a lot of folks in in Michigan who would love to make this the, the you know one of the strictest anti-abortion uh, states in the country. And in fact, we already have a law in the books that passed the Michigan legislature, and um, uh, that would be the law of Michigan if they overturn Roe. At this point, that is one of the the strictest bans on uh, abortion. And I think that's one of the things that people fear is that. A constitutional convention to get bogged down in issues like that rather than structural issues. Not that uh, they aren't both important, but that you wouldn't get to some of the bigger picture structural issues because you get stuck on something like abortion, which is a pretty divisive issue. But Bob LeBrant, what do you what what do you make of that? Well, I, I think uh, abortion is always going to be uh, uh, an issue of public debate. Um, you know, one of the one of the issues uh, that the Constitutional Convention deals with are those issues, you know, that are current at the time. Uh, you know, back in sixty one, sixty two, when our, we held our last uh, Constitutional Convention, uh, uh, racial equality was an important issue, and they created uh, the delegates created a uh, a, a civil rights uh, commission. Uh, in the Constitution, I think that was one of the first uh, 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 attempts nationally to have a state incorporate a civil rights commission in their Constitution. Uh, you know, on, on on these kinds of issues, you know, we've prohibited the death penalty in Michigan since I think the 1840s, but it was never a part of the Michigan Constitution until the 1961-62 Constitutional Convention. And, uh, and and that language prohibiting the legislature to enact the death penalty mm-hmm. uh, was was included in that uh, in that document. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Bob LeBrant about the idea of a constitutional convention here in Michigan. We'll also continue to hear from you, Sam in Detroit, David in St. Clair Shores. You will be up next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put uh, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Bob LeBrant. He's a retired Republican strategist and former senior vice president for political affairs and general counsel for the Michigan Chamber of Commerce. He has a piece in Crane's Detroit Business this week that is titled, Michigan's Constitution Needs a Rewrite. It is part of the latest Crane's Forum on Ideas for Reforming state government structure. We're talking about the idea of a constitutional convention. We'll get a chance in just about four years now to vote to have a constitutional convention. Last time that question was before us in 2010, it overwhelmingly failed uh, because I think uh, people were really afraid of what a constitutional convention would invite, that uh, that it would uh, bog us down in fights over, quote unquote, social issues and not allow us to get to some of the bigger structural things. Uh, I think both sides of uh, issues like abortion, for example, uh, fear what the other would do in a constitutional convention. Uh, and so the idea is, well, let's just avoid that altogether. Could look different in 2026. The, the idea could be more appealing, and uh, some of the problems that we have, because we haven't had a constitutional convention in so long, could be so acute that people are ready to do it. The question is, what would you want to see changed in the Michigan Constitution if we did that? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Sam in Detroit. Sam, you're up next. Hey, good morning, Stephen, and good new, good morning to your uh, distinguished guests and other listeners too. And uh, thank you for bringing those uh, inform informative topics to our attention. Uh, I agree that it is very important time now to start looking to our constitution, especially when it comes to the separation between the action of the government and the burden that falls on the people's shoulder after they making the wrong decisions or taking an inappropriate behavior when it comes to people's days to days life. And the life example of this is what's happening with the UIA. People answer the questions according to the criteria set up by the state, and then suddenly they change it with the guidelines of the feds, 
and now people is trying to fight back to uh, protect their uh, money, what they were entitled to, and the UIA is coming back to them asking, hey, you have to pay this back. So the separation is important and making sure that the government is held accountable about decisions. And once they take decisions, they can't ask people for uh, to pay the result of these decisions regardless if it's right or, or wrong. Mm. So uh, if there is an insight about this, I'd like also to hear your opinion, guest, about what's happening with the uh, UIA issues and is it a, yeah. a constitution decisions right or wrong? And yeah. thank you once again for your show and your guest. A great question, Sam. I'm glad you called and asked. Uh, Bob LeBrand, talk about uh, the issues that, that Sam's raising here. Well, I, I think I, I guess I'd like to make the distinction between the Michigan Constitution and, and Michigan statutes. Uh, you know, the, the Michigan statutes deal with issues like unemployment compensation. Uh, I, I don't think we ought to, you know, load up the Michigan Constitution with a lot of statutory detail uh, that would require going back and getting another constitutional amendment adopted at, at some future date. Uh, I, I think the Constitution ought to provide uh, a, a structure uh, of, of government at the state and local level. Uh, I think a Constitution ought to uh, put some limits on on uh, state and local government. Uh, but for the most part, uh, uh, I don't think we, we should try to incorporate uh, Michigan's uh, unemployment compensation system uh, as part of the Michigan Constitution. The legislature has that role, and the governor has the role of either signing that legislation or vetoing that legislation. And, and I guess I wouldn't want to see a constitutional convention get into that kind of minute detail of uh, trying to, you know, put in the Michigan Constitution, uh, you know, the unemployment compensation law or the Michigan election law or the Michigan campaign finance law. That's the role of the legislature uh, as well as the governor. Yeah. And if people don't like that law that's passed by the legislature, uh, then I think we enjoy in Michigan the right of referendum, uh, and uh, and and I think, frankly, uh, over the years, uh, uh, having the legislature put tack on a uh, you know in any size appropriation to a, a bill that they pass and make it referendum proof, uh, you know, is a mistake, and I think a constitutional convention can make that correction. Mm. In fact, we've got a social media comment that addresses that very issue. Brian says, before a con-con, people need to understand what a constitution does. It contains, it constrains the legislature and government. It does not substitute for the legislature. Rather than speak to one medical procedure, make all medical choices free of government uh, intervention. Uh, let's go back to the phones here quickly to uh, David in St. Clair Shores. David, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Um, this is conversations are great. I want to shamelessly give a plug here. Uh, everybody just kind of finds themselves always on this station listening. Give the station five bucks. Uh, got a feeling that this is contributing a little bit more to all of us uh, than maybe our Netflix uh, subscription, <laughs> subscription might be. <laughs> we appreciate um, that, David. <laughs> anyways, uh, 
anyways, uh, you know, I, I love this, and I really like the point that your guest just made, uh, particularly on appropriation. But I think the thing that always I come back to uh, is when Michigan got rid of term limits. Now, I, I, my political consciousness didn't really start forming until maybe 2004, so this was you know, whatever 10 years after that uh, was done away with or so. But, you know, I think that that has, you know, we, you had mentioned the role of special interests. Uh, I don't know if it was more generally or just specifically towards the Constitutional Convention, but the role of special interests, I, I feel, from reading since the term limits were enacted, uh, I feel like special interests have only proliferated because, you know, think of lame duck sessions, think of, uh, of obviously, you know, the kind of you do this for me. And then when you come out on the other end after yeah. what, three, four, five, however many years, there'll be a position in this lobby. I just feel, you know, and the guest, and the, the guest was talking about referendum generally. And I, I feel that the ultimate term limit is us, the voters. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, but that's just me. And I, and I think that the lack of, the, the application of term limits has only kind of increased apathy amongst voters as well. It doesn't matter if I don't like this guy or such and such, you know, they're going to be gone in X year as well. I can't just keep this kind of in neutral. So thank you. That's- yeah, David, I, I really appreciate the call. I really appreciate you raising that issue. It's one of the things that I think, um, you know, is a great example of a constitutional change that got made outside the context of, a, con- a convention, but that, you know, very quickly after, you know, really raises the stakes, I think, for, for that con- convention. The, 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 the folks who framed and advocated for term limits are among the loudest critics now of how it's turned out. I mean, it's not, it's not been great for us here uh, in Michigan, and it is something that would, I mean, almost certainly come up at uh, – at a constitutional convention. Bob LeBrand, I wonder what, what you make of that. Well, I, as I reflect back on uh, 1992, uh, when the voters approved that question, I think with about 78, I mean, excuse me, about uh, 58% of the vote, uh, it dealt with term limits, not only with the state Senate and the state house, uh, but congressional districts as well. And of course, uh, the United States Supreme Court said that uh, you couldn't uh, have a provision in the state constitution that limited people's length of term in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. Right. Uh, that was declared unconstitutional. Uh, I, I think that uh, term limits, uh, as I look at around the, the nation, uh, those states that have the initiative uh, all have term limits. And those states that don't have the initiative uh don't have it because the legislature uh, is not likely to impose limits on themselves any more than the U.S. House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate is going to impose term limits on themselves. Uh, but we uh, we definitely adopted the wrong model when we did term limits. Uh, we were we have the most draconian term limits in the United States: three two-year terms in the House, two four-year terms in the Senate. And these are lifetime bans. You serve three year, three two terms in the House. You can never again run for the House of Representatives during your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, two two terms in the Senate is same thing. It's 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 a lifetime ban. Uh, if we just went to our neighbor to the south, uh, in Ohio, you can serve 
you know, eight years in the state house, wait out a term, and you can come back and run again uh, and, and serve in the state house of representatives. I, I think the better approach would have been, okay, you've got 14 years to serve in the legislature. How do you want to divide that up uh, is, is your choice. You can serve all of that time in the state house, or you can split it between service and the state Senate, as well as the House, or all of it in the state Senate. And uh, that would have been, I think, a better model. Uh, unfortunately, I think one thing that uh, the unintended consequence of term limits is that when people get elected to the legislature, they're looking, uh, where's, where do I land next? Do I, you know, do I become a lobbyist? Do I, uh, do I, you know, do I run for the Senate? And, and there's a continual need then to raise funds and and rather than legislate. And I, I think that that's an unintended consequence. Hmm. Okay. Bob LeBrant, it was really great to have you here to talk not only about uh, your piece in Cranes, but about this uh, really interesting idea as we get closer to 2026. Thanks so much for joining us. Stephen, thank you for the invitation. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to change subjects here. Congressman Andy Levin is going to join to talk about news from Washington, D.C., including the House's passage of the Protecting Our Democracy Act, which would put limits on some of the executive powers that opponents of former President Trump say he used to weaken American democracy. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.